Sorry for folks who serve a penny of God. Two. Now, probably for many of you, you've never been into lands and seen people pray to idols. I have. I've stood in South Africa among the Indians, tens of thousands of them, East, East Indians. See them take fish hooks, big old long grab hooks, stick them right back in their back, right here in their flesh, hook them to ropes and pull wagons for like four or five miles, take long things about like this, look like a pen, have little groups of them over here, and one over there, one over there, one over there. They get little tiny tambourines, and they start hitting them, hitting them, hitting them. They get that music going, you know, and then before long, somebody, you thought I scared you, you ought to have been standing there. (laughs) Then when they do that, they know the demons in them. So then they take that long pen and they start sticking it through their tongue and weaving it through their tongue. Blood running down their backs, blood running out of their mouths. For what? Nothing. All their gods are false. Last count I had, Hindus had over 33 million gods. They've never healed. They've never saved. They've never delivered. We've got an awesome God. Amen. A mighty God. Oh, I'm glad I know him. I'm more glad that he knows me. Praise the Lord. Aren't you happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Let's turn to the book of Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 23. Verse 39. Now, this might seem a little bit strange to you as we start out with this, but I think you'll catch the direction that we want to go. We're looking at spending our honeymoon with our great king. I think the more that we can learn about him and his greatness, the greater our expectation can be, the more we can understand how he is. Notice, very familiar scripture to you, all of you know it, of course, Luke 23, 39. The setting is the crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross between two malefactors. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying dost thou not fear God seeing that thou art in the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man hath done nothing amiss now what I'm wondering is how did he know this because this is not a church guy now. This is not a man that would hung around holiness meetings. He's a thief, malefactor. How is it that he's finding out these tidbits of information which are fixing to change his life forever? 
we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Hmm. Okay, a thief, a sinner, wretched, terrible, terrible situation. And he has more of an understanding about the messianic kingdom than Peter? Oh. Well, we got some interesting things to look at tonight. Don't we? Should I dismiss or should I go ahead and... I'd get stoned if I said you dismissed, wouldn't I? Amen. Have this prayer request. I want to pray for Courtney and Bab. She has a fever and a cold. Had to leave the service. So let's remember Courtney as we pray. How many of you also have a need or request on your heart you'd like to be remembered? So good to see Brother Homer and Sister Ruby with us tonight. God bless you all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we approach you, Lord Jesus, we are so grateful. Lord, we know that you're a mighty God. Mighty to save, mighty to deliver, mighty in power. Father, we so appreciate your kindness. Lord, I pray tonight that you would just let your presence be made known among us. Father, we ask that you would minister to the needs of your children. Lord, I pray for Courtney tonight that you would help her. Father, come to church and then got to feeling bad, had to leave. May you be with her tonight, Lord. You saw the hands of your children that were uplifted, signifying needs in their bodies, their homes, their lives. Lord Jesus, I need you tonight as well. Father, to be able to stand in this place and to bring the bread of life, Lord, it's it's a great thing. Even though I've done this, Lord, since I was just a, a boy, really, but yet I still get frightened. Lord, I still become alarmed every time I stand before your people, realizing that one day what I say will meet me. So I want to be sure that I'm saying the right things, things that are seasoned with the presence of God. But I pray, Lord, that you'd not only help me, but anoint the people that they can be able to receive. May we be benefited by our gathering together tonight. May there be things of eternal value that will come of this service, Father. For it's in the name of our Lord Jesus we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How can a man in such a blind state naturally, morally, socially, his mind, his body, by now already knowing the torture of crucifixion. And yet somehow he has the ability to look at another man hanging by him, which looks, no doubt, even worse than himself or his friend. And he's able to look at this man and see something that the high priest never saw. 
see something that rabbis and Pharisees and great people never saw. How could this be? How could this man's face look at one whose head is so swollen, his lips are swollen so much, his head, they say swollen the size of a bucket. His lips now swollen and parched. Strips of meat hanging off of his body. His hands and his arms jerking and quivering. Pushing himself up on the nail in his feet. Trying to breathe. So much pressure on his lungs and his chest cavity. That it's everything he can do to get breath. And yet this man looks over at him. His own eyes now swollen where they have beaten him. His face swollen as well. Him in the same state. And he's doing everything he can to breathe. And be able to say these words. But somehow... He looks at a man that looks worse than himself. He sees a man that right is at the very door of death. But sees him as the Lord of life. How could he be able by natural ability, by hearing things. Now, by now, he's already heard the accusations. No doubt he saw the sign that was placed above Jesus' head. And he was able to read it, perhaps. Able to hear the accusations of the priest. To hear the accusation of the other malefactor, able to look at his mother, to see Mary Magdalene, to see John, the beloved disciple. Those that were so moved by this momentous event, and he's there hanging himself, watching their faces, their expressions, hearing as the Lord Jesus utters in sequence the seven things that are said at the cross. Wondering in his own mind, who is this man? What is different about him? Yet seeing no miracles, no supernatural, not seeing one thing at all that would attach him to being the king of eternity. How he saw someone heal coming up the hill. Someone blind, lame, halt, wizard. But he saw none of that. What he sees is a man in such humiliation and shame. What it looks to be a person that looks worse than any other individual standing there. But somehow he has the ability to surpass all of that and address this man as Lord? Amen. Amen. Come on. Praise the Lord. These 
these words, notice, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Can you believe this man sees him, Brother Jim, as a victor over death? Now he knows it looks like that Jesus is fixing to die humanly. But somehow his faith is carried beyond what he can see. And he believes that the Lord Jesus is going to conquer death. What if he thought he was going to the same place he was? This man knew, of course, he's going to Hades. He's lost. He knows he's out of fellowship. He didn't keep the Torah. He did not keep the law of Moses. He didn't do any of that. And he's saying, looking at this man, why he's no better than I am. He can do nothing for me. What in the world could he ever do for me? But somehow, from another realm, glory, this man has tapped into a heavenly understanding that Peter did not at this time have. Now think of it. He does not ask for a place in the kingdom. He does not ask to sit on his left or his right. He does not ask for a position. He simply asks one thing. Remember me. Give me what I rightly deserve, but remember me. Now, if you look at these words, this man is not asking to just be remembered momentarily. Glory. He's asking to be remembered forever. Notice, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And yet, where would he get such a spiritual revelation that he would understand that Jesus was going to enter into a messianic kingdom and he himself would possibly be allowed to enter into that kingdom. Now, he does not know what the Lord Jesus is going to say, but somehow the pulsation of faith, glory be to God, the pulsation of faith and that which has been made real to him on the cross with a further understanding, as I've said, than even his beloved apostles who have now been with him over three years and they don't even know themselves. They don't even understand what this man has comprehended. They would have been there. They were all gone except for John. Every one of them had fled away except for John. And here this man looks at him and he says, you are the king. You are the Lord of life. And you are coming into a kingdom. I'm not worthy to be this or that or the other. I only ask for one thing. Remember me. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine what an act of faith 
moving beyond. Now, if you were hanging there on the cross and you saw this man in such a putrefied state looking at him, I didn't even look like a human being according to Isaiah. So beaten, so abused, so humiliated, hanging there naked on the cross, blood running down his body, my, my, spit in his face and whatever more. Could you look past the shame? Don't you understand that's what stumbles people today? There's many folks that know this word is the truth. Where do they have prayer requests turn into? Where do they want help in the time of trouble? But they cannot bear the reproach of the Lord Jesus in this hour. The same way they couldn't bear it then. Come on, saints, you know it's the truth. However this man discovered this truth, it was absolutely the revelatory power of God that had made known unto him such a revelation of the messianic kingdom that he would be willing to identify and ask to be a partaker of the kingdom that was to come. He was not there when the Lord Jesus said, Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. He was not there when Jesus preached the parable of Matthew 13 or John 15. He was not there to hear the great things. So where did he hear this? Could it be this man is hearing from his theophany? Glory be to God. When you recognize the very word of God as eagle food, you left the other thing. You have heard from your theophany. Oh my, hallelujah. You imagine being able to look past circumstances that were so profound. Now he says what he believes him to be. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now listen at the words of our Lord Jesus. Remember now that he's standing as still as a mediator and there he is in such agony and pain. But now through this in a few moments, the Melchizedek part is going down into paradise. Amen. But as he's on the cross, he's going to die as a man. The eternal cannot die. But the eternal has created a body called the sun. And Melchizedek, amen, has been reflected in the sonship now for a few years. But here the sonship is still hanging on to life. And what's he going to say? What will he say? You imagine this man under this anticipation. Oh, what will he say? Will he say, shut up, shame on you. You ask me of anything, you liar, you thief. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, not in a thousand years, not in 500 years, but today. Glory! Today shalt thou be with me in Eden. (laughs) 
Some of y'all got the look on your face that I probably had on my face when the Lord started dealing with me on this day before yesterday. I thought, what a peculiar place to deal with about the theophany. But as I began to study, I realized what he had in his mind. I'll tell you, friend, I hope we never get to a spot where we think we know it all because we're cutting it all, cutting ourselves off from him who does know it all. Now notice Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now the word paradise here is in the common speech of the Jews, and it was the Garden of Eden. Oh, I thought the Garden of Eden was destroyed. Well, one of them was. Blessed be the Lord God. The one in Egypt was destroyed. But the other one in the lower parts of the earth was still there. And may I clue you in tonight, the Garden of Eden is still in existence. We know it by another term, the sixth dimension. You understand where the saints of God go? They go to the Garden of Eden. Praise be to God. Oh, hallelujah. No wonder the prophet saw bluegrass. And many of those who went over and come back said they saw flowers and, and streams and water and this and that. Don't you understand what it is? It's the Garden of Eden that God made in that dimension where the saints of God go when they leave this place. Paradise still exists. Glory be to God. Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in Eden. Now these phrases were common phrases that was used whenever a person was inviting their friends into an entertainment or interchangeably they would use this word as paradise. So it signifies a garden of pleasure such as those eastern monarchs made their magnificent banquets. So the Targum of Jonathan on the 90th Psalm says, May the pleasures of paradise or the garden of Eden be from the Lord upon us. In the mystical language of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 verse 7, he promises to him that overcomes, will he be a partaker of this great paradise, the word is, of God, which is also the same word, Eden. So we know then that God has a place where the children of God go. Now Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3 I knew such a man whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell God knoweth how that he was notice now called up Now, by this time, paradise has been emptied out, and Jesus had the keys to paradise, death, hell, and all that, and that nether part and the earth, and he locked up the lower regions of paradise. But he opened up the upper regions of paradise because the blood had been now shed, and the way had been made. Oh, blessed be the Lord. So Paul now, after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, whenever he's caught up, he said, how that He was caught up into Eden 
into Eden and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. So now the Lord Jesus answers this man with this great revelation of his understanding. Today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Now he's not going to Hades or Sheol. He's not going to Gehenna, which is the place of fire. But Jesus tells him, you are going to be with me in Eden. Amen. Now think of it. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the switching of the position again. The Son of God is now speaking. But the Son of God, the body, is going to be in the grave. Wonder who is talking there. You're going to be with me in paradise. The body, oh hallelujah, the body, the human part is going to be in the grave. He ain't going to paradise. Somebody else is doing the talking. Oh hallelujah, hallelujah. It is amen, King God, King Jesus, King Theophany. Praise be to God. Now notice before the resurrection of our Lord, then the souls, the righteous souls went down into paradise and they were held there against their will. Now remember there was a gulf fixed between those that were lost and those that were saved. And and at least one way uh, they could be able to view over the way Jesus made the parable. And that was those that were lost would be able to look over and see them over there enjoying the blessings of God where in Eden but yet they were held down there against their will now because the blood of the Lord Jesus now remember in paradise they were of course not being tormented they were not being treated evil by Satan but yet there was not they was not made to be in that nether world they were not made to be held down there so they were held against their will waiting for the time and the day when the Messiah himself would come and liberate them out of that paradise and bring them up to the heavenly paradise up this way. The blood of bulls and goats now could not release them from that paradise, so they were held captive. Oh, I know you're questioning me, little friends. I got the answer right in front of me. Just be patient. Let me lay a foundation. Now, they were being held against their will, so they were captive, but what a nice place to be captured in. So it wasn't that they were being, uh, you know, maliciously treated or that they were still suffering or anything like that. But yet it was the very realm by which they were next to that really they wanted to be liberated from such a place. So now when a Christian dies, of course, they do not go down. They go up because that paradise has been emptied out. And Christ has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Now, it actually means the same thing in the parable when Jesus gave us in Luke about it was called Abraham's bosom in the parable of Lazarus. You remember that parable? Notice in Luke 16, 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now angels don't carry people to graves. They carried them to paradise. Amen. Angels don't carry you to graves. They don't take you over here or somewhere in Kingsport or something like that. They carry you to paradise. 
That's right. But notice now, the Lord Jesus here relates to it as Abraham's bosom. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights, notice how he terms this now, in the heart of the earth. So paradise and Abraham's bosom, which is the same thing, is in the heart of the earth. Now, does that mean the core? Does that mean down below the, the magma? What does that mean? I have no idea, but it's just somewhere in the nether world, uh, the regions of the lost is down beneath it, and here they are there. But now watch, he himself knows in order to bring out his children, he's got to go down there where they are. He cannot go as son of God. Son of God is going to be dead on the cross, the human part. So what is it that goes down to Abraham's bosom? The very thing that came out from God's bosom. The Logos. <laughs> Woo! Glory be to God. Amen. He's got to make this journey now to Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. And you imagine he's going to take this thief on the cross with him. Here's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Daniel, Zachariah, Malachi, Haggai, on and on and on. And here comes this guy, I mean the last few minutes of his life hanging on the cross. And the theophany or however it was, he got this revelation. It was pounding him one revelation after another after another on the cross. And all of a sudden the very messianic kingdom opens up to this guy. All I can say was he must have been ordained to life. said hang on buddy we're fixing to take a journey and you're going down to Eden and you're coming back out Notice how Paul captures the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So he goes down into the nether parts of the earth and he leads captivity. So they were already held captive in Eden in paradise because they could not get up. There was no display of the blood to be able to bring them up. So he leads captivity captive. Amen. He leads captivity. So he captured Abraham. He captured Sarah. I like that. He captured me one day. Oh, it ain't the type of captivity of bondage and sin now, but he went down and delivered that those that were held captive on the timeline over in paradise, and he's going to take them up. Now, what's the rapture? Brother Brim said the Old Testament saints has gone into his presence, paradise done away. The Old Testament saints ascended up at his loud voice. When he screamed and gave up the ghost, because why? The sacrifice of perpetuation of their sins that they had waited on, believing that perfect lamb was coming, that offered the sacrifice the lamb. And when he died and yielded up the ghost, he screamed with a loud voice, and the Old Testament saints awoke. Amen. So here he screams with a loud voice, and when he did, they awoke. Watch the shout and the voice over here, the same thing, it is coming. Yielded up the ghost, and when he did, the sacrifice was perfect, paradise emptied out. 
and the Old Testament saints came to the earth again, walked around on earth and entered in with him at his rapture. Praise be to God. Can you imagine this former thief? He gets revelation after revelation, feels a pull toward the Lord Jesus, asks for forgiveness, amen. The promise that you are accepted in a matter of hours, he's taken down into paradise. The Lord Jesus, you talking about transforming your life in a moment of time. Boy, that'll be like some of these last ones that get brought in before the rapture, won't it? They get called out of the depths of sin, out of the mire of the world out there. God saves them, sanctifies them, fills them with the Holy Ghost in about two nights. They go to feeding on this word. I'm telling you what, they're feeding and they're feeding and they're growing and they're growing and they're getting bigger and bigger in about a week's time the rapture comes and they're out of here. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And they say, well, what did you do, brother? What's your great reputation? Well, you did throwing the lines then? Nope. Did you, what about the furnace of fire? Nope. I was on the cross. Something struck my heart. In a few moments of time, it was all settled. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Notice now in verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Ah. And gave gifts unto men. Meaning the gifts of the God called ministry. Now this is taken, of course, Paul very, very familiar with the Roman way. This is the way it would happen with the Romans. Let me just read you this speck of history here. It was the custom of the Roman emperors at the triumphal entrance to cast coins among the multitudes. So did Christ in his triumphal ascension into heaven. He threw his greatest gifts upon men. What were they? Ministerial gifts. It wasn't $100 bills and $20 bills and $50 bills. The greatest thing the Lord Jesus could give you and I after salvation, the baptism of the Holy Ghost was God called prophets. God called pastors. God called teachers. God called evangelists. Amen. You see, the institution of the Christian ministry is divinely appointed by Almighty God Himself. For those who reject the ministry, you're not just rejecting the ministry, you're rejecting God Himself. That's right. Oh my, and now we are the captives except we are my, my. We are not held against our will. We are very much willing to go on this journey or not. So here comes the Roman triumphant general. He would ride on a state chariot, which means it was one of the Caesars own chariots himself. He would come through and my, they would have all the music going. They would have the banners flying and say he conquered Cappadocia and he conquered this and that and the other. In behind him would be the leading men of the place where he had conquered. He would have them tied up and they in their shame and humiliation would walk up behind him as the citizens of Rome would stand there and watch as this mighty general come through. Oh, glory to God. 
Well, here Paul says, let me just tell you something, saints. When Jesus come out of paradise, amen, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. He emptied out paradise and he brought the saints of God up into heaven. And then Jesus said, I'm going to throw out gifts now. This is a sign of my victory. I'm going to throw out gifts. And those gifted men that receive those gifts are going to heal the sick like I did. They're going to preach the truth like I did because it's going to be me in them. Oh my, Colossians 2.15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Ephesians 4.9, now he that ascended, what is that but he also that descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up above all heavens that he might fill all things. Should I go ahead and read this next verse? And he gave. Notice they didn't give themselves. Mama didn't call them, daddy didn't call them, Aunt Josie or whoever didn't call them. Nope. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Well, praise the Lord. Now, some would rather have that fivefold ministry change. I wrote this down today. He gave some tapes, some CDs, some USB sticks, some books, and some tablets. That's Antichrist. You shouldn't say that, Brother Donnie. Oh, but I should. Oh, yes, I should. Oh, you, 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 well, you're worried about your job. I ain't worried about my job. I'm taking a stand for my king. My king was the one who gave this. My king is the one who started the church this way. Had he wanted it to end up in tapes, he should have started it in tapes. Well, praise the Lord. How can he be the same yesterday, today, and forever and start out with preachers with a live ministry and then in the end time set all them preachers down and play tapes? You're a liar and a false prophet. Well, I'm going to preach it, friends, with or without you. That's not what my Lord did. He ascended up on high, hallelujah, and he said, now I'm going to give gifts. I'm going to give pastors after my own heart. I'm going to give evangelists. So what's an evangelist supposed to do? He's supposed to fly to Argentina, and then he gets that war out tired, and he gets up and greets the people. God bless you. Greet the name of the Lord Jesus. Push play. A missionary goes to the dark jungles of Africa and he takes five days, three days, four days, whatever it is to get there. And then he gets there, stands up and greets the people and he pushes play four meetings while he's there. Where did you get that nonsense at? And it is nonsense. So he goes into the lower parts of the earth, into Abraham's bosom, or Eden, or paradise. To be in Abraham's bosom, to a Jew, 
to them, because we look at things so different, and of course the Bible wasn't written in English, but the way they would set and eat is not like we eat at all. So they would recline back like this. And they laid down, and they would lay sort of like this. So John at the Lord's Supper, John was laying next to Jesus' bosom. So Jesus was laying down, and John was laying down, and he was laying right up against him. So the way they looked at it, the man that was close to you, he was a man of honor. So to say you were in Abraham's bosom meant that you were in a great feast, that you were in a great place that you were provided for, and you were right next to Abraham. Buddies, as we Tennessee folks call it. Now, notice this again in in Luke 16, 23. The rich man in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. Now, you know, it's a great debate among theologians and maybe even among some of you whether or not this is real or whether it is a parable. If it is a parable, it's the only one that Jesus ever used names with. The others, he'd say a certain man, but in this one, he uses names. Uh, so, you know, it seems as if, though, that it's beyond a parable. And the Lord Jesus gives us the view of, of Lazarus, and he also gives us the view of the rich man. And how the rich man, he, he looks over and he says, he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So for this man to be able to see this when Jesus tells the story, of course I thought, oh my, he was in Abraham's bosom. Then that means he was laying right up next against Abraham and he's right there at a great feast with Abraham. My, what a place this man was in in paradise. Now this guy believed in return ministry because he said, uh, you know, Lord, uh, would you let me go back and talk to my brothers? He said, well, they got Donnie and Daryl and Terry and Wes and you know, Gene and all the rest of them guys out. They won't hear them. They won't hear Brother Branham, though he raised from the dead. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's right. So this man, part of his torment is enhanced now because the way Jesus has said it this way, the way Jesus sets it forth, it's as if though this man from his side can look over to where that this, this poor, poor beggar was and now he's there, my sumptuous feast is going on, beautiful trees, grass, flowers, streams, everything is absolutely perfect and yet he's in these flames and he's being tormented. And he said, oh, please send Lazarus down. That he can just take his finger, just dip it in water and put it on my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. So in this, the Lord Jesus sets forth now that Lazarus is in this place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Notice this in Matthew chapter 8 verse 11. I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So here again, Jesus relates to the same thing. So Jesus by theophany now goes down into the heart of the earth. Amen. Now, the Son of God part has been wrapped. It has been laid there. They've got spices all over him. He's not moving. But the crowning of Melchizedek, King Theophany, must come via paradise. 
Well, in order to be a king, you've got to have a conquest in the realm by which you're trying to obtain the, the crown for. Melchizedek alone won't do it. Exodus 33 won't do it. God alone appearing to Gideon won't do it. You've got to rescue Theophanes if you want to be their king. Glory to God. Healing the sick, wonderful. Raising the dead, wonderful. But there's thousands, millions of Theophanes that are being captive, held in this place, in the earth. Matthew 27, 52. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves. Notice the way Matthew writes it though. After his resurrection. So Jesus screams on the cross but there is a delayed reaction so if there was a delay between the first shout and the resurrection why would it stumble you that there's one now the Lord God has gone forth with the shout which is the message to get the bride ready and there was a delay from the time that our Lord voiced and echoed down through the regions. You imagine, as he began to say there, and the great shout went forth from the cross. But yet there was a delay, and it delayed, and it delayed until the time release of God was now at the appropriate time when Melchizedek comes back in and gets in the body of the Son of God and breathes life back into that body and the theophany enters the body and the theophany coming in changes the body and causes it to look stop looking like a 50 year old man and he looks like a 20 year old or 22 and all of a sudden hallelujah to God Melchizedek gets inside that body and the body raises up Jesus sits up on the slab of the rock and Abraham looked over at Sarah and said get up Adam reaches over and gets a hold of Eve and Eve reaches over and oh glory to God gets a hold of Abel Abel reaches over and gets a hold of Seth Melchizedek has to rest first there is an order to this Melchizedek resurrection The graves are open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the grave after his resurrection and went into the city and appeared unto many. Abraham asked the Lord, he said, Lord, you mind if we make a little whistle stop up in Jerusalem? He said, I cannot stop up there and just see the old place. I'd have to go over to the plains of Mamre and just, I said, sure, I'm going to spend some time on my disciples. It's fine. So to go down through there, and the prophet said, look, and said, hey, we're being recognized. Now I wonder how that's possible. 
Abraham had been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years. Unless there was some spiritual folks there. You understand when the resurrection takes place, you may have 57 brothers and 37 sisters and 97 nieces and nephews. If they don't have spiritual sight, they'll never know it when your mom appears in the same room. Your daddy could be sitting right on the end of the couch and they'll never even know he's there. You're sitting right there looking at them and they don't even know they're there. Oh my, what a time it must have been whenever all of a sudden saints begin to come up out of the ground thousands times thousands of them. As he begins to speak their name and their theophanies are now released. Him leading captivity, captive giving gifts unto men. Hallelujah! And they're on the earth with the Lord Jesus. Praise be to God. What happened to them, Brother Terry, whenever the disciples was there on the mount that day and they saw the Lord Jesus ascending up, they didn't see it. Oh my, they didn't see it, but Adam was there. They didn't see him, but Eve was there. And oh, glory be to God, I'm about to have a spell right here. That was the saints of God. They entered in with him in his resurrection. Why, he had emptied out paradise. Melchizedek had become king theophany. Oh, glory to God. He raised the orphanies out of Abraham's bosom. And came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto me. The prophet said they'd stand under Abraham and say, Sarah, we're being recognized. And they'd whoo, disappear. Amen. <laughs> King Theophany. <laughs> Psalm 24, 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up ye everlasting doors. For the king of glory shall come in. So here's Abraham and all these saints now. On the outside of the heavenly Jerusalem. And they begin to holler, scream, whatever with one accord. Open the gates! The king of glory! Wants to come in. King Theophany. Blessed be the Lord. And then the voices from the inside say, Who is this King of glory? Uh Uh-oh. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He's been fighting somebody. And apparently he won. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't you understand? Part of his victory is the relocation of saints. <laughs> Woo! Lord Jesus, that was a good one. Thank you, Lord. Point of 
his victory is the relocation of saints. Don't you understand? That's the very consummation of the rapture is the relocation of saints. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Who is this king of glory? Oh, Lord. Listen now. There's a, well, he's the son of the father of the Holy Ghost. He's the second part of the Godhead. He's two-thirds of the Godhead. We're not sure if he's the father or the son. They knew who he was. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. So Melchizedek goes down into the regions of the lost. A theophanic appearance knocks on the door of hell. You've heard Brother Brown tell the story. Gets the keys of death and hell. Moves across what the rich men ask about, what Jesus told in the parable. There is a great gulf fixed between you and them. Jesus spans the gulf and goes over to Eden. (laughs) And he sets free those people who are being held in Eden. Now begins the New Testament order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now remember, this is the reference to the Old Testament. First being by interpretation king of righteousness, after that king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Logos of God, Son of God, abideth of priests, Continually. Now notice, and who is Melchizedek, paragraph 55. Notice now his attribute then. The attribute was first. The thought, the attribute itself all in one. Without being expressed. Then when he expressed secondarily, he became then the word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. St. John, the first chapter and the first verse, notice this. In the beginning, but before the eternal, in the beginning was the word. When time began, it was word. But before it was word, it was attribute, thought. Then it was expressed. In the beginning was the expression, the word. Now we're getting where Melchizedek is. That's this mysterious person in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hold that there now. His first spirit being was spirit being supernatural. Now notice his first being is spirit, God. Spirit, God. First being supernatural, spirit unseen. Supernatural, all right. The great eternal. Second, he began to form himself toward flesh In a theophany. It's called the word. A body. 
Then this is the state he was when he met Abraham called Melchizedek. He was in the form of theophany. Now we'll get to that and prove it in a few minutes, the Lord willing. He was the word. But that couldn't die. So God needed a servant. Called a body. Called a son. Not a second person now. The very same God condescending in a way where humans could understand him and where he could bring us back. Jesus was the body of God. Hebrews chapter 6. Christ, the Lord Jesus, was the body that God dwelt in. God was made flesh and dwelt among us. First Timothy 3.16, for without controversy, great is the mystery of God in us, for God was manifest in the flesh. The great Jehovah came down and was made tangible by living in a body of his own son. Declaring and reconciling the world to himself. God was nothing, Christ was nothing short of God. And God was nothing short of Christ. They're the same person all along. Amen. And the church said. Notice again. Now Jesus was God in flesh. We believe that. The manifestation, he was here to manifest himself in the flesh. Jesus was the body the Son of God, God dwelt in Christ. Amen. And the church said, Amen. the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Or may I, should, I should go ahead and say the only begotten of the Father at that time. Right. Afterwards, James says, he of his own will had begat us with the word of truth. So there's other begottens after the first one. Amen. Amen. Now Jesus said himself, the Son can do nothing in himself. St. John 5, 19, but what he see the Father doing? That doeth the Son. Did you ever read that? Then he didn't do nothing till the Father God showed him in a vision on what to do. Jesus was the body that the Spirit of God dwelled in. Oh, he said, I don't want to be like Jesus. You need your understanding tweaked. There wasn't one fault in the Lord Jesus. There was not one flaw. If there had been, you'd still be lost tonight. People that say that don't understand what they're even talking about. Or they said under a two-lord guy. Remember, Abraham saw three and called them Lord. But Lot had pulled away from the message and become a two-lord guy. And Lot looked and saw two and said, my lords. Yeah, he's a two lord guy. We got him around the message. Well, hallelujah. Woo! Notice Jesus was the body, the Spirit of God dwelt in, made him Emmanuel, God tabernacled on the earth. He was God. Jesus Christ was God. So, preachers around the message who say Jesus wasn't God, these quotes make them what they are liars. And I don't apologize and ain't pulling no punches and saying it. Any preacher that stands in the pulpit and said Jesus wasn't a God is a false prophet and a liar. And you go to hell if you don't repent of it. Preach it, Brother Donnie. He was the Son of God. His flesh was the Son of God because God created it. But he inside, 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 
Can I go ahead? Can I go ahead and bring it on down just a little bit closer? Your flesh is now the body of God. God is on the inside. Now your flesh was not created sinless like his was. Now it's a greater work in the sense by the power of the blood, by redemption. He has redeemed you. How God became one of his own creation, he said, to say, because he created his own body. Jehovah the Father dwelt in fullness in Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus was the body of God. Friend, what is hard about that? God was represented in the tabernacle, the flesh of Jesus Christ. And how that one filled all space, all eternity, become one man. You see what I mean there? And that God could do that to die? Oh, that was a paradox in itself. How he could make himself that way in order to suffer death for the whole human race. That's what Satan looked at and stumbled him and said, if you're the son of God, do this or that or the other. Well, you know you, you're the son of God, really? If they understood the program of God, you think they would have ever let him go to that cross and die. He pulled it right over Satan's eyes. I imagine they had a rude awakening when King Theophany kicked the door off of hell. I imagine he knew he was in big time trouble, Brother Homer, when the door slammed back down in hell. And after that, he went across the gulf and he said, Abraham, let's go, pack up. Can you imagine the devil sitting over in hell just a cry like a rat eating onions, I mean, tore all the pieces. I said, oh no, what have we done? What have we done? And he goes, I said, where are they going? Try to hold them. He said, Satan, we've tried. We can't hold them. We can't hold them. I don't know what in the world is going on over there. Everybody's flying out of, out of, out of paradise. We can't hold them. We've tried to scare them. We go hallelujah to God. That's the same way he tried to do us. Oh, y'all better not do this. Y'all better not shout out, devil. The king is in our midst. Melk Kazedek is here. You ain't holding us back no more. Notice this God rich in mercy, the body. Jesus was the body of God. An attribute. Moses seen him pass the back part of a man. No man had seen his face, but now we've seen him. We beheld him. Seen as a sacrifice. So now we see as an attribute of God being displayed. The Word. Actually, it was a wedding. I know a baptism may seem like a strange place for a wedding. But at the River Jordan, A wedding was cloaked behind the veil of a baptism. <laughs> That's heavy. Notice this question answers. When man was made in the image of God, then God came down to the image of man to redeem man. That brought man and God together. Heavens and earth 
hugged and kissed each other. God and man embraced each other as fatherhood and sonship when the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, he was the word. He was the word when he was born. But the fullness of the attribute never entered until the wedding. You were saved and many of you were justified and sanctified when you was out there in the Baptist church, when you was out there in the Pentecostal church and some of you got the gifts and my, you got real emotional and all that. Oh, but the Logos never entered until you got married. Praise God. You never heard from your theophany whenever you come up and signed your name on the Baptist roll. Come on, children. You never heard from your theophany when you started out as a Jehovah Witness. You're too young for that anyway. His name's changed 2,000 years ago. That's right. And you was not. Oh, no. You never heard from yourself when you spoke in tongues and shouted. That felt good. But when you recognized the word of God was eagle food, you left the other thing. Then you heard from your theophany. Then what happened? There was a union. Heavens and earth. Now, God tells us when we are courting, God tells boys and girls, men and women, don't kiss until the veil is lifted. So if heavens and earth is kissing, somebody done got married. Heavens is the masculine, the earth is the feminist. Heavens and earth got married at a water baptism. God and man both could meet in the very same spot. Oh, Lord, children, do you see it? God and man could meet in the very same spot in the human body called Jesus. Called Jesus, heavens and earth embraced each other and kissed. Not another God, not another person, the same God in a creation of himself. Oh, my. Hmm. Let's stand. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Brother Donnie, you got more to say? <laughs> Who is Melchizedek? Paragraph 95, now the true revelation of Melchizedek comes into view. What? He was God, the Word, before he became flesh. God, the Word, because he had to be. No one else could be immortal like him. See, I had father and mother. You did too. Come on, everybody, hang with me. Jesus had father and mother. But this man had no father or had no mother. Jesus had a time he started. This man didn't. Jesus gave his life. This man couldn't because he was life. It's the self-same man all the time. I hope God reveals it to you. Quotes and scriptures will make it seem as if though it's two. 
But revelation merges them together and makes them. This will be one of the last ones you ever get before you are changed. To where finally you will be merged together. And you'll be able to say by revelation, I and my Father are one. We've quoted it for years and years and years. And then get down on ourselves and we make mistakes and think there's no hope for us. And well, I've crossed the line. It ain't real to you yet. Notice, I hope God reveals it to you, the self-same person all the time. Notice his title, King of Righteousness. Now, Hebrews 7, 2, King of Righteousness, King of Peace. He's two kings. Now, watch Hebrews 7, 2, King of Righteousness, also King of Peace. He's two kings there. Now, since he's come in the flesh and received his body up in Revelation 21, 16, He's called the king of kings. He's all three of them together. King God, King Theophany, King Jesus. King God, King Theophany, King Jesus. Praise God. Notice, not just Theophany, King Theophany. What made him king? Releasing his brothers. A conquest. He took the crown of Eden. You've heard me say before that in many cities around the world, say in Barcelona or in Madrid or whatever it was in the dark ages, one city would have been a kingdom. And there would be a king of that one city. And they would have a crown and they'd have a throne. One king might have, he might be the king of five cities. And he would take that. Well, somebody else would come in and they wanted to be the king of Madrid. Well, if they took it away from him, they got the throne. Then they were the king of Madrid. He was no longer that. As long as Satan could look over down there and say, How you doing, Abraham? He said, Shut up. <laughs> King Theophany is coming. Right. So Jesus went down and took the keys. <laughs> Poor old devil, he ain't got the keys to his own house. <laughs> You imagine Satan saying, oh no, oh no. Which direction did he head when he left here? He went right toward Abraham. Oh no. He's going to empty out Eden. Oh no. Can we stop him? Go, go. You kidding me? I ain't going over there. You want it done, devil? You go yourself, you big coward. Praise God. And when he takes them out, they're the ones that go to call him king. Listen to me, saints. Our Lord Jesus 
has not yet been crowned king of the bride. Remember when Martin saw that angel appear to him with a crown on his head, he said, Satan, I rebuke you. You got a crown on your head. Our Lord is not yet crowned. His saints will crown him. Praise be to God. You imagine at the rapturing time when we gather together, our Lord for 2,000 years working in the mediatorial office of priesthood has been awaiting his crown. Who better than to crown him than his wife? Praise be to God. King God, King Theophany, King Jesus. Crowned by whom? Queen Jesus. You imagine, saints, whenever we take our crowns and remove them from our head and cast them at his feet. Praise be to God. Oh, don't you love him? King God, King Theophany, King Jesus. He is king of kings. It's all met just like soul, body, and spirit all comes to make one. He is the father which was the first, son, and Holy Ghost. The spirit, notice the way he types this, king of righteousness, the spirit attribute, king of peace, theophany, and in flesh, king of kings, same person. Trinity of God. And one day your Trinity will finally be of God. It's not tonight, but it's on its way. You will receive your theophany, praise God, your seed, your theophany, and your glorified body. You also will have the Trinity of God. Your Trinity of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father. How blessed we are to set in your courts, O great King, feast upon your word. We have been invited by Melchizedek himself. As it were, when he met Abraham that day, whether you were riding a camel, or maybe you appeared down the dusty road. You had bread and wine. All of a sudden, you appeared to him. You begin to use the names that he was familiar with. You called him by his new name, Sarah by hers, and used the name El Elyon, which was a secret name. Abraham hadn't run into anybody yet that knew that name. But when you use that name, oh, I can just see him as a smile come upon his face. Finally, after all these years, he met somebody he could talk to. Somebody who understood him. Praise God. We remember that feeling, Lord. We searched for life. Longing, searching, looking for something, not knowing what it was. But one day when we got amongst some believers of the word, we began to talk and have fellowship and hear the words of God. 
we knew we had finally met somebody who knew how we felt. As the prophet said, many of you can fellowship with me on this thought. When you was a little boy or a little girl, it seemed like there was something in you that was calling for life. It was that seed, he said. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, how we long for the time when we'll all be gathered together in the great paradise of God. Lord, may there not be a one of us missing. If there's any sick here tonight, Father, I pray you'd minister to them. Lord, you see these prayer calls that I've preached with tonight. Dear God, you see the needs. Lord, brother and sister Baker, I ask you that you'd move for them, Father. All the other sick, Lord, the flus and all these things that are going around. Dear God, in the name of Jesus, may you minister to your saints, Father. One day we'll have a body which will match our soul and match our theophany. Lord, when I started studying this the other day, it made it so much more real to me of saints of God, of those who go. And no wonder Brother Branham was so elated. No wonder he was so moved. He said he, had to, he just had to do whatever in order to get people there. He made a trip to Eden and back. Paradise. Bluegrass, waters, rippling streams, Eden. Eden is still waiting for us. I knew somewhere there had to be an Eden. It's always been in your economy. Thank you for letting me understand this, Lord. You love Eden. Praise God. This is why the millennium will be the bursting of it on the earth again. Praise God. Then the eighth day will unfold to an eternal paradise. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Father. But while we are here in this life with our struggles, we will say like Sarah of old, Shall I, being old, have pleasure? Well, the Hebrew word she used was Eden. Shall I have Eden with my Lord? While we are waiting for the Garden of Eden, we will have divine revelation, healing, mercy, salvation with our Lord God Almighty. We don't want to drink. We don't want to smoke. We don't want to run around to us. That ain't pleasure. That's sickening. But to us, hearing your word, going to church, worshiping, singing, praising, keeping your word, that's our pleasure with our Lord. Until the trees arrive and we pull our fingers through the bluegrass and we see the flowers that are so yellow, that are so red, that are so orange, that are so pink. We will have our pleasure with our Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the great king? Think of where you're standing at tonight, friends. In the presence of Melchizedek himself. That same one that turned to the thief that day and say, Today you'll be with me in paradise. We're all listening for that same voice. Whether we go by the way of the grave and he sends the angels and they come and get us and pack us out of this world or it is the rapture. Either way, we can't lose. Praise God. We are part of his victory. We are a proof that Calvary was a success. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can you imagine? That thief hanging there was a proof that Calvary was a success. And he hadn't even finished death yet. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to meet that old brother that day, don't you? He's going to be there. I guarantee you that. We're going to see him, Brother Terry. I'd like to just sit down and have a conversation with him. Brother, tell me, what was it? What was it that struck your heart? Brother Donnie, brother, whatever your name is, I don't know. It was just all of a sudden. It's like I could look past the blood. I could look past the reproach. I could look past, and I saw as it were the king of eternal. I just knew, I knew that I knew that I knew beyond a shot of a doubt that was him. I don't know. I said, oh, my brother, I understand what you mean. I lived in Laodicea. It hit me that day. The one way, that one way, oh, my one way. I used to be a Trinitarian and I was baptizing titles, but it hit me the same way. There's only one God. There's only one way and the Jesus is that way. Praise be to God. Praise God. Oh, let's sing something together. Let's just worship him, can we? Oh, ain't it been good to be in the house of the Lord? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus.
you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Can we just raise our hands? Oh, praise be to God in the presence of the King. Friends, that one that you've loved, that one that moved your heart that day to give it to Him, that one that's moved for you so many times, that one that's give you revelation after revelation, one day He'll just move and your body will be changed, your resurrection, your rapture will set in motion and cycle, and you'll get to see Him your first time face to face. Praise be to God. Can you imagine as the children of God when we the first time get to walk up to Him and see Him? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. I long for that hour, don't you? Oh, Lord God, I want to see you, Lord. Praise God, I want to touch you, Lord Jesus. Amen, I want to bow down before you, Lord. Praise your holy name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you with all of our hearts tonight, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to be together tonight. Sitting at your table once again, Father. Go with us now, pray. Bring us back in the morning, Lord, if it be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. My heavenly home is bright and fair. God bless you, saints. Traveling on I feel like traveling on Feel like traveling on I feel like traveling on My heavenly It's bright.